Start your day the right way by taking charge of your physical and mental fitness. It's important to know your numbers. They determine if your blood pressure is high or low, your cholesterol balance, even your blood sugar level, heart rate, and much more. Get tested by visiting your doctor, clinic, or stop by at any health center closest to you. Take control today. This message is from Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. This is Doctors On Air with Dr. Pamela. Good morning. Today we'll be talking about domestic violence and the society. Because unfortunately, domestic violence has always been and continues to be of concern to us. And it affects not just, just only on the family, the children, the wife, but, but also on the society at large. Thank you, Dr. Naya and um, Lola Vivardini for coming on the program to discuss this very important issue. Can I ask you, Dr. Naya, what is, can you define domestic violence um, and tell us a bit about the prevalence in this society? Thank you, Doctor, for having me. What really is domestic violence? Domestic violence can be described as a pattern of behavior, possibly a pattern of abuse that is aimed at control or manipulate another person. That's the whole aim of domestic violence. And there are various types of domestic violence. But what we have observed that people appear to be more concerned about is the physical parts. You know, beyond the physical angle to domestic violence, you have the emotional, you even have the economical, you have the sexual. They are all part of domestic violence. Sometimes people also call domestic violence, um, intimate partner violence, IPV. It's same thing. That's what they are referring to. And that's the aim of domestic violence. Now, how common is domestic violence? We have recent um, surveys that show that as much as 30% of Nigerian women aged between 15 to about 49 years have experienced physical violence from a partner, 30%. However, you have as much as 68%. They have other type of violence, be it sexual, be it economical, be it, um, what's the other type we have? Emotional. About almost 70% of women have experienced that and are still experiencing that. It's very rampant. I remember during COVID, um, COVID pandemic, there was a research uh, done by the United Nations that reported 48, almost 50% of women to have experienced domestic violence during that lockdown. So it's more like saying... That statistic will probably say one in two, almost 50%. But we know that the prevalence generally is one in four as it relates to women. But when it comes to men, I, I don't want people thinking that domestic violence is restricted to women being the victims only. We have cases of men also being the victims. But you have more women. So we have one in every four women experiencing some form of domestic violence. But when it comes to men, statistics have put it at one, one in seven, one in nine men equally experience domestic violence. Now, people hearing this are actually going to be surprised because culturally, we are used to the man being the man, you know, big man. And in fact, even if you look at some of our African magic movies, to beat your wife about a little bit is, is allowed in some of them. It's only when you start breaking her bones that the, the family starts to complain. So it's actually almost culturally acceptable or what do you say? Is that still the case? Is that still the past? Because 
we have some cases of where women have gone home and they say, oh, well, you know, you should drop, behave yourself, go back to him, go back to him. And, you know, sometimes the, you know, unforgettable and unforgivable happens. And, and sometimes it can even lead to death. But what would you say is our culture? And has that culture changed? Dr. Naya. Um, one of the major causes yes. of domestic violence in this part of the world and in Africa is cultural issues, harmful cultural mm -hmm. practices. We grew up probably being told that it's acceptable for the man to hit the wife. It's that he's doing it out of love. He needs to correct her. Another could be harmful practices like child marriages, you know. So you have a woman who is much younger, being given to a man in marriage. And so he feels that he must use punitive measures to correct her as a child. Those are things that have kept, kept this issue of domestic violence very high. I have also read about studies in other African countries. Ethiopia, Kenya. Kenya has one of the highest, about 68% of domestic violence. Then I think Ethiopia, one of these countries, maybe Nigeria is about the fourth or the fifth country. But that's what most of them have in common, the cultural parts where they think is acceptable for men to do this to women. Now, if I can then go over to Lola. Lola, as a lawyer and also with your you know, position in Lagos State, Yes. And, if, and most places in Nigeria where people feel it's okay, the gender inequality persists, particularly in the home. So the man feels the woman must be under him. Then other factors that may be responsible, ranging from poverty and more commonly, lack of education. Because people have still have this archaic mentality. They, they think we are still in the days of old where it's acceptable to treat a woman in a certain way. They are not um, they are not well informed. They do not know any better to say no. You can't do this to the woman because she's a woman doesn't make her any less than you are. And I'm giving emphasis to the women because um the prevalence is higher with the female gender unlike with the male gender when it comes to domestic violence. Well, when you speak like that, um you know that it cuts across from the high to the low. We're not talking about a financial, you know, that, oh, it happens amongst poorer, you know, or less privileged people. You know, it's also amongst the wealthy and highly educated. So when you say people don't know, is it really that they don't know? If I may cut across to Lola, Lola, can you, you know, from your position, you're a lawyer and you, you hold a very important position in Lagos State. Can you tell us the Lagos State position on this and how you... Um, are addressing the issues. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, so Lagos State Government has declared zero tolerance. We have done this not just by declaration, but by also ensuring that the relevant laws and policies are enacted and formulated. We've also done this by ensuring that the relevant responder agencies who are supposed to provide services and support to survivors are able to function and function optimally can you tell us a bit about the detail who those okay. you know and how so because there may be people listening to this program that are thinking you know what i can seek help and so if you can just explain a bit more detail to the, the agencies that are available in Lagos state and how they can help people in distress thank you so let me just give a typical case scenario so we have for instance let's talk about domestic violence so we have a survivor of domestic violence um who has been experiencing physical abuse um let's say it's a lady 
And as a result of her financial dependency on her partner, on her husband or her spouse, she's unable to leave the abusive relationship. And let's say that there are two children as a result of this marriage. And the, the man has told her that if she goes, there's no, she can go, but she will not go with the children. And that even if she goes with the children, he will stop caring for them, stop paying school fees. And perhaps she has been maimed as a result of the abuse. So this lady now, she would need medical attention. She would need legal support because she has rights. She may need to be rescued depending on the kind of violence and her access, her ability to access services. She may need to be empowered because now she has decided she needs to leave this abusive relationship and she wants to you know she wants to gain her sanity back. The rights of the children have been forced because children have a right to education and they have a right to be, you know, to shelter. So these different services are provided for by different agencies. So when we're talking about, um, let's start with the first one, medical. In Lagos State, we have, um, what we try to do is mainstream SGBV into the health sector. And so we have a situation now where the primary healthcare centers and the general hospitals have been upgraded to be able to provide um, SBV services to survivors at no cost. So such a person will be able to access medical care post-trauma and that will help us to build up the case of the survivor. Bearing in mind that a good number of survivors actually do not have real evidence to buttress their claims. So going to the hospital to access medical attention and care can also be a, an avenue to be able to document what you say you have experienced so that when it's time for us to assist, not just for mediation purposes, but even if you want to escalate to court, you know, as court, the judge might be, you know, a feminist or the judge may want to deploy judicial activism. But if there's no evidence there's quite a limit to what the judge can do. And that's why we, we really, you know, place a lot of emphasis on helping survivors to build their case. So that's medical. Legal, as I said, we're talking about criminal allegations, assault, violence, sexual violence. These are crimes. Crimes are committed against the state. And so it's important, aside from ensuring that the survivor is able to access medical attention, we also have a duty to ensure they are able to access justice. And let's not forget that even the state has a right to ensure justice is done. And that's where the police comes in. That's where the Directorate of Public Prosecutions under the Ministry of Justice come in. That's where the judiciary comes in. So those are services, you know, um, that are provided for, for survivors. Then we talk about psychosocial support. I'm sorry, I didn't mention this. When a person has experienced trauma, there's a need for them to debrief, receive psychosocial support, receive therapy. Let them come to a realization for themselves. Is this something I want to stay on with or is this something that I want to walk away from? And we always say there's a very thin line between advice and counseling. And as professionals, we are not there to advise. It's not my job to tell you that this is what our religion says or this is what is obtainable in our part of the country or where we come from. That's not being professional. My job is to counsel, let you know the options that exist that are available that you can take advantage of. And then, of course, I'll just wrap up. We have empowerment services. So it's not enough for government to say, government or NGOs to ask survivors to break the culture of silence. When they've broken the culture of silence, then what? Is there, are there shelters in place for survivors to be able to take refuge for? 
Are there financial grants that they can take advantage of? Are there skills acquisitions that they can learn? You know, when they've decided to break the culture of silence uh, or speak out, speak up and speak out. So those are um, services that are also provided for by the state. Thank you very much. You're listening to Doctors on Air with Dr. Pamela. Thank you very much, Ms. Zoe for coming to share your um, passion with us. I know you're from the uh, Pastor Bimba Odikaya Foundation. Uh, please let me uh, take this opportunity to offer you our condolences. But can you tell us about the uh, PBO Foundation? What, how, why was it founded and w- what does it do? Okay, Bimba Odikaya Foundation is a legacy foundation and was actually established to bring soccer to women and girls that I might have experienced any form of violence, which includes sexual and domestic. And over the years, we've had quite a no- number of women and girls that have passed through the shelter, including young girls that were sexually abused and got pregnant in the process, and they had to have their babies. We've had a child giving birth at age of 11, 12, and all the way it's been a, a, a journey of seeing them being a survival indeed, when I mean survival, meaning that they've been through a lot and they have grown to see that life brought this. Yes, they will still rise up to be the best they can. And they're actually doing well now. So, like I said, the foundation is just the memory of late Pastor Bimbo Dukoya. And we want to help more women to, to, to actually get the support they need when they experience such violence. And we do more of prevention now because we prefer it not happening than intervention. So what do you, when you say you do prevention, what do you mean? Okay, we, we surprise people more through the communities, in schools, and to ensure that parents and even couples, even those that are not married, they get to understand what violence is, what domestic violence is, or any type of GBV, which is gender-based violence, so it can be prevented. Because we realize that the, the expenses on, on caring for one survivor is very much expensive. So it's better it doesn't happen. So we can have a sane society, a safe society for every woman and girl child that will not experience violence, like a zero violence-free society. So it's better to do more prevention from doing intervention. Okay, no, that's great. And I'm glad you're, you're doing that. Your, your, your foundation is, is doing that good work. Um, and because even though Lagos State is doing a, a lot of work, it's not possible for one organization to do everything. Dr. Naya, just going back to you, can you tell us some of the reasons why there's violence? You know, is there any particular reason? We've talked about the cultural, but I'm saying why else? I mean, why do, do, do people do this? And more importantly, why do people stay quiet and silent? A lot of people, even though you've got your statistics, they do not report it. They do not, you know, come out with it. Um, Lola was alluding to it when she talked about breaking the silence. Why is there silence? Why is there violence? And then why is there the silence? The silence has persisted and the silence is still on for some reasons. One will be fear of retaliation, consequences. Don't forget the society also finds it to an extent acceptable for the same cultural reasons we talked about. You know, so that prevents people from even speaking out. We're talking about male violence. How many men would comfortably go out and verbalize that they are being abused by their wives? There's a shame that's associated with it. And people, the cases I have seen of male violence is something they don't talk about. 
I know people who have experienced that from their wives and they're like, who is going to believe me? Does it make sense why a woman would keep attacking her husband? That's one reason. For the women, fear of retaliation, fear of consequences. If I report this man, more would happen. The society may just support him against me, who is the victim in this. Very commonly, we see shame. People are shamed. People are afraid of the stigma that comes with it. You know, you are being beaten up by your partner. People don't want to say that. And sometimes we have also found out that women are afraid to leave, particularly when it, because of this dependence, they feel a need to depend on the other um, partner. So they are afraid of, like um, the lawyer spoke earlier and said, you need to make plans to take care of this woman holistically, medical, legal, social. The woman is wondering, I'm not that empowered. Where am I going to? That may keep her from speaking up. Sometimes women would also say, for the children, we want the family to remain. For the sake of the children, they hold back. They think that, oh, I am going to take up anything that is going to come. And also, the lack of resources. That's why we encourage women, particularly women, to be empowered. Because when you lack the financial means or resources, you may be tied down. So you talked about, because we know that domestic violence cuts across, even the wealthy. You know, so it's not, so, it's not a poverty issue. The rich also do it. But when you have the other partner, who, who doesn't have the means? Who can't, who can't walk away from that violence? They remain there. And lastly constant intimidation one thing i would say coming from the mental angle is that psychological angle there's what we call learned helplessness you learn to be helpless repeated intimidation repeated intimidation you are like okay i can also just remain here and not move so they need a report even when family members notice something is wrong they hide it they make excuses they think they can change their partner not knowing that it's not within them. It's not until I become a better person, I become a better wife, that the violence will stop. That's the mistake people make. And they think, okay, I mean, still longer, hoping he changes, hoping things turn around. But that's not the case. Unfortunately, some of them end up six feet as a result of the violence experience. Turning to Lola, you know, before we go any further, I'd like to ask you to give us some a number that people can call if there's anybody in distress or who is in need, or who's experiencing this, that wants to speak up, who can they call? Can you give us a number that people, they can reach out to? Thank you. They can reach out to us on our toll-free line, 08000 accessible 24-7. We also have another hotline, 0813 796-0048 and then we're on all the social media um, platforms or at Lagos DSVA. You know, this is something that, you know, as as, as she was just speaking about six feet under, you know, we remember some of the mm -hmm. cases that have been publicized that, you know, women mm -hmm. have been killed by their husbands. Um, and I know that, you know, those are the ones that have been, it's not made public all the time. You know, what do you do? I mean, what is, is, is Lagos State doing? How are we, you know, preventing some of these cases from happening? What can what can we do? Mm, thank you. Um, so we're looking at this holistically and we're trying to be strategic in our interventions. So we're looking at the different strata of society. We're looking at children. We're looking at teenagers. We're looking at the youth. We're looking at um, 
um, our community leaders, we're looking at um, custodians of culture, our traditional rulers. We're looking at our religious clerics because we know that religion plays a huge role and our religious leaders are very influential, right? In the way they, in the, in the, by virtue of the position they hold, they are very influential. Um, we're looking at mainstreaming SGBV into the different sectors, into the education sector, into the health sector, into the security sector, and more importantly, creating awareness so that people know what this entails. You know, my sister was speaking, she said that, um, I think it was Madame Munke, she was talking about the need to um, prevent. And you asked, how can you prevent? It's by heightening awareness. So if you engage young people and say to them that these are the signs to look out for, because you're cutting, let's assume you're cutting, right? And your boyfriend is already giving you a slap. And he's saying things like, once we get married, you're no longer going to go to the office. Or he's saying things like, once we get married, you're no longer going to be able to go to your parents' house because your mother is a witch. These are red flags. And he's already exhibiting such during courtship, right? But if you do not know that these are red flags, chances are you will go ahead with the relationship, get married, and assume that, you know, it's not as serious as, you know, it, it was penned out to be. And so instead of us waiting till she has gotten into that relationship, she's married, and then she's coming to report, how can we prevent? So I'll give an example of what we're doing with the marriage um, registrars registrars of marriages these are the um, people with um, the authority to legalize and solemnize unions formal unions and so felt that it was expedient for us to infuse um, gbv into their counseling program so now what we have is a compulsory premarital counseling that is taken by intending couples couples should even know their temperaments they should know if they are compatible they should know their love languages because when we have cases of mediation or, you know, when we're engaging couples, I give an example. A woman is saying, oh, he doesn't love me. And he's saying, but I bought so many things for you. How else do you want me to show you I love you? Meanwhile, her love language may be quality time or it may be words of affirmation. So it's important that couples, people that are intending, intending to get into relationships, understand each other. And that is where the role of counseling comes in. So that's just one example of how we're able to infuse, you know, that preventive lens to the issues. So it's, 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 it's an end to end, really. We're catching them young. We're engaging boys because we know that, you know, aside from the fact that boys, um, grow up some boys grow up to perpetrate violence we also know that some boys are victims of domestic and sexual violence and the truth is by virtue of our socialization we are brought up if a child is brought up in an environment that has normalized violence and that child does not receive psychosocial support chances are that child will grow up to believe that it is normal to be violent so how can we catch them young how can we reorientate their minds when we still can and we shape their behavior so they know that the fact that it's happening does not mean it's normal, right? And doesn't the make it right. Fighting does not make it right. Exactly. And so we have, um, in partnership with Ministry of Education, we have different um, interventions for different strata of society. Thank you so much. Now, unfortunately, you won't believe the time is already up. So we just want one minute or less, just a few you know, last words from our listeners. Dr. Naya, do you have any last words you'd like to, to say you don't have to continue in a um, relationship or a home where there's domestic violence i need to emphasize this because for some reasons why women stay back for the children 
We know from studies that children who are exposed to domestic violence end up also repeating the pattern. So think about it. Every time we choose to remain in a relationship where domestic violence is ongoing for the sake of the children, how much are we impacting on them? Not only do the victims of domestic violence have psychological and mental issues, also the third parties, the children, they over time develop mental health issues as a result of exposure to domestic violence. So we all need to be careful about that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, Mrs. Uilakin, can you just give us a, a few last words? And also, can you share with us your number, a number of people can reach out to you, particularly if they want to support the work that you're doing? Okay, so you can reach us on 080-35-800-201. And also, my last word is to encourage every woman or girls out there that you might be experiencing any form of violence. Please, it is better to stay alive. You can get help and we want you to be alive. So I would say that please reach out to the Lagos State Government, reach out to NGOs, try to get help and stay alive. Thank you. And last but definitely not the least, I think the essence is long gone. I'd just like to encourage all of us, ourselves as mandated reporters, if we see something, Let's say something, and most importantly, do something. Thank you very much. Doctors on Air with Dr. Pamela.